Welcome to Canucks Corner, a podcast in which I, Aaron Lane, give you the skinny on what the Canucks have done recently, how they fared in a recent game, and what's next for the team in the week to come. The pregame show. This is the part of the podcast in which I let you know what the Canucks have done since the last podcast, where they sit in the standings, and any information that you should know about the Canucks as far as I'm concerned. Now, as it happens, this is our last podcast of the entire season. I take a look at the Canucks' crucial game against the Arizona Coyotes on April 6th, game number 80, where it really depended upon that game determining what pick the Canucks got in the upcoming draft. Also today we're going to talk about just where the Canucks stand at the end of the season, what happened at the end of the season, and how the playoffs look for all the other lovely teams that made it in. So I think we will begin today with noting the standings at the end of the season. I'm going to lead into the end here where there was just a few games to go, just three games to go. There was the Phoenix game and then two Edmonton games following. Phoenix only had two games remaining, the game against the Canucks and then a game after that. And so with Phoenix one point behind the Canucks, and I think New Jersey one point ahead of the Canucks, the Canucks had, if they were going to go for second last place and get that possible second pick during the draft, they had to lose to Phoenix and then lose the next two games against Edmonton. But that said, Edmonton was going for first place in the division. Connor McDavid was going for first place overall, I believe, in the points race, or at least was in that in that mix. So Edmonton was going to be a team that's going to be trying, going to put their best team on the ice, and losing those games wasn't going to be very difficult. But this one against Phoenix, both teams knew the loser of that game probably gets the better draft pick. So this is the tough one. I'm going to go ahead and spoil it straight up because, of course, we have the final results here. Vancouver loses the game against Phoenix, and that is pretty fantastic. Okay, I called them Phoenix again, Arizona. So they lose 4-3. to three. It's a pretty, not that tight of a game. The Canucks sort of keep coming back, and near the end, you know, they get that third goal, which kind of pulls them close, but realistically, it didn't look like they were trying super hard <laughs> to, to, to win the game, but again, we'll get into details a bit later. But that did a wonderful thing for the Canucks. It allowed the Canucks to go into those two games against Edmonton, lower in points than the Coyotes, and we lost those two games against Edmonton quite nicely. <laughs> I mean, Edmonton really took it to us, which kind of disappointing in a way because you don't want to lose badly, but we lost against Edmonton. That's fine. We'll we'll take it. They can go on to the playoffs and we can take our, hopefully, our second draft pick and maybe even get a first overall draft pick. So there'll be another podcast later on having to do with the draft picks, having to do with free agency. So this isn't the last podcast of the year, just the last podcast where I take a look at a specific game that happened. And if I really feel like it, I might just pick a game during the playoffs that isn't Canucks. Just to, you know, just to t- have a look at, just to have a look at how things went in that game. Maybe in the Stanley Cup Finals or something, just for fun. Anyway, let's take a look at the end of season NHL standings and how the Canucks did ultimately. Start in the East, though, with the Metropolitan Division. Washington takes the President's Trophy with 118 points. Pittsburgh right behind, well, not right behind them, behind them in second with 111, and Columbus coming in third. Very respectable for Columbus, 108. 
in the Atlantic, Montreal 103, Ottawa 98, and Boston 95. Now we had Burroughs over there in Ottawa trying his best to help out the Senators get to that position, and he did all right. He had a pretty good last uh, couple weeks of the season. The wild card came down between just a couple of teams. The New York Rangers uh, solidified themselves pretty quick near the end with 102 points. Can't lose very often scoring 102 or earning 102 points for the season. And certainly the Rangers didn't. Then it came down between three teams. Toronto, the New York Islanders, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. They were all within a point or two of each other coming into the last few games. And wouldn't you know it, Toronto and those amazing young players win out by one point. 95 points for Toronto, 94 for the Islanders and Tampa Bay. Putting Toronto into the playoffs and putting the Islanders and Tampa Bay into the bitter zone. That's a rough number, 94 points and missing the playoffs. I remember a number of years ago, oh, 20 years ago or something, the Edmonton Oilers set the record for missing the playoffs with 93 points that season, I think. And that number kind of rings in my head. But yeah, losing out at 94 points is hard. That's that's a hard loss. In any case, that was the Eastern Division. Now having a look at our good old Western Division. We have the Central and Conference, sorry, Western Conference, and Eastern Conference, of course. So the Central Division in the Western Conference, Chicago pulls out in front with 109 points, Minnesota with 106, also a very good year for Minnesota, St. Louis with 99 points, comes in third in the Central, good for them, Anaheim in the Pacific, 105 points, once again, Anaheim's on top, Edmonton though, right behind them at 103 points. So Edmonton, McDavid, and those young Oilers just getting the job done and almost right there. San Jose, 99 points. Now San Jose happens to be a team we're rooting for in the playoffs. I might as well say it right off the top. If San Jose wins that Stanley Cup, we get a first round draft pick for that Yannick Hansen trade. So I've got a little bit of me that will be cheering for San Jose all the way along, but you know, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, those are the top three in the Central and the Pacific. And the wild card. The Calgary Flames came out and got their 94 points. And unlike the Islanders and the Bolts, they go ahead and get into the playoffs. As do Nashville. The Nashville Predators also got 94 points. And they get in as well. So two 94s on the western side get in. Two 94s on the eastern side are hitting the links. So was it close on the western side? Not really. Winnipeg was the next closest with 87, and Los Angeles 86. So those guys tried hard, but weren't really in it near the end, and it was just positioning in the West from there on in. And then at the very bottom, we have Colorado with 48 points, Vancouver with 69, and Arizona with 70. So we did just manage to squeak on through. Uh, let me just double check. New Jersey also with 70 points at the bottom of the... Eastern Conference. So we, in fact, as Canucks, got ourselves the second best shot in the in the draft lottery, which is really nice. Again, from what I've heard, not a huge lottery with a bunch of McDavid's in there or nothing. There's one solid guy that kind of has got the top billing. He got injured though, so you never want to see that because you never know if there's going to be reoccurring injuries and all that business. Anyway. He's still the top 
top pick. And then there's several guys that are kind of in that two to five range. It's one of those drafts again, where if you get a, a draft pick between two and five, you're going to get a pretty solid guy, which leads me to wonder whether or not the Canucks may move the pick. If they end up with second, whether or not they're going to move it. So they take a number four, or number five pick and then get something else in addition, maybe a, another second rounder or another young good player. In any case, they got some room to move there, and they don't necessarily have to pick that pick that they end up with, but we'll talk about that a bit later. Well, in the next podcast where we actually talk about those draft picks when we get to it. In any case, let's talk about the Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup playoffs in 2017. So those are the teams that made it. Let's see how they match up. And what are the kind of the... I'll, I'll give my ideas about what I think about each matchup here. Again, we'll start in the East with Montreal against the Rangers. I think this is going to be an interesting an interesting matchup between two world-class goaltenders, Carey Price and Henrik Lundqvist. I think Lundqvist has had a really tough season this season. He's let in a lot of first shots, for example. He hasn't his goals against average overall, save percentage overall hasn't been great. Carey Price hasn't had a perfect season either, but I think overall he's had a more consistent season, and there's less questions about him at this point. The rest of the teams both boast some pretty good offensive players, some pretty you know tough defensive players with some good skill there. It's going to be a good series, but I see this one going to Montreal in the end. Carey Price will make the difference there, I believe. Then we have Ottawa against Boston. I wish I could say Burroughs was going to go all the way and get a Stanley Cup with Ottawa, but this is one of the toughest starts to have to make. Marchand was unstoppable in the last few games until he took a spearing penalty. Idiot. <laughs> Sorry, but Marchand's one of those guys that He's got a ton of talent, and yet he's he's kind of a jerk, and he doesn't he doesn't check himself. Like he doesn't he doesn't make sure that he isn't a jerk. And occasionally he'll occasionally he'll spear somebody, he'll slew foot somebody, he'll play dirty for pretty much no reason at this point in his career. He's got enough talent, he's got a, a good enough position where he doesn't have to play like that at all for any reason. And yet he still does, and it just makes me think it's because he's just naturally kind of a jerk. So that's too bad, because he seems to be an excellent hockey player. Now that said, that's who they have to stop. If they can stop Marchand, the rest of the Bruins are okay. They're pretty good, but I think he's he's the guy that really makes them tick. And if you can shut him down, that will be a big step in the right direction. Can Ottawa do it, though? Carlson, top defenseman. I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be a tough one. But I'll probably give that one to Boston, even though I don't want to. Then we have the Capitals and the Leafs. Great story for the Leafs this year. Breaks my heart that the Leafs are a good story again, in a way, because I always like kind of jabbing at them when I get a chance. But the truth is, is they got some really talented young players there, and that makes a big difference. They're going up against Great Eight in Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals. And from goaltending to defense to forwards to experience the capitals have it all over the leafs all the leafs have is that youthfulness and that energy that comes from that which sometimes gets you a win or two but i don't think over the long haul of a seven game playoff series the youth is going to hold out in toronto there'll just be there'll be too much there for them too many opportunities to make mistakes and have difficult parts of their game 
and the Capitals are just the type of team to take advantage of that. So I don't see the Leafs getting out of the first round there. Then we have the Penguins and Columbus to wrap up the eastern side. I give this to Pittsburgh, again, mostly from experience. Columbus, still a really good team from goalie out. They are solid. There's really nothing wrong with the team. I mean, they they had as many wins as Pittsburgh did. But sometimes in the playoffs, it really comes down to who knows what it takes to win. And whoever that is, that's the team that's going to win in the seven-game series. And I think that's Pittsburgh right now. So, yeah, I'm not one to bet against uh, Stanley Cup champions. As they say, you can't get a decision over a champion. You have to knock them out. And I don't think Columbus is the team to knock out the Pittsburgh Penguins. But if you're going to do it, you got to do it in the first round before Pittsburgh's ready to go. We'll see what happens, though. All right, we're off to the West. First matchup we can take a look at is Anaheim and Calgary. Now, again, experience versus inexperience. We've got two pretty good teams here. They have their deficiencies here and there. But overall, I think Anaheim's experience is going to pave the way for them to get in a first-round win against Calgary. We have the Oilers against San Jose. And again, like I said, cheering for San Jose. But man, picking the Oilers in the first round is a tough one. Maybe we can go back to 1982 when these very powerful and upstart Edmonton Oilers go up against the Calgary Flames in the first round. And Wayne Gretzky and his Oilers actually get beat by these Calgary Flames. So now I'm saying Calgary and I'm scratching my head and I'm going, you know what? That's wrong. Gotta be wrong. It was the Los Angeles Kings, I believe, now that I think about it. So I think we played Calgary, Canucks played Calgary in the first round and Edmonton played LA and LA beat them. We pick up LA in the second round. I believe that's how it went. In any case, the Oilers can be beat. They are not a seasoned veteran bunch of guys. And whereas the San Jose Jose Sharks are. So, yeah, you know what? I'll give the edge to Edmonton just because the McDavid situation. He is just much like Sidney Crosby, much like Jonathan Taves. I think he can pull his entire team up in the critical moments to do what needs to be done to get the wins. I think San Jose may be super experienced, but they're also on the older side. And even though Yannick Hansen's there, and I'm really hoping for it, and I'm hoping for the San Jose Stanley Cup champion so we can get that first-round draft pick, yeah, no, I, I, I think Edmonton will get the edge here. Then we got the Blackhawks and the Nashville Predators. This is going to be a tough, tough matchup. This has Chicago written all over this. It could be a very quick series. But Nashville, it's a spunky team, man. They've got they've got some speed, they've got some, you know, some power, good goaltending when necessary, and they've got a real good chance at catching Chicago sleeping. So it could go quickly for Chicago. Nashville could get a couple of games real quick and make it an interesting series, but really in the long run I think this is Chicago's series to lose, even though I'd like to see PK Subban get some playing time there. Well, obviously going to get playing time, but you know, get some Get some good wins out of that series. Finally, we've got the Minnesota Wild against the St. Louis Blues. I don't know what to say about this one. (laughs) I'm not sure how Minnesota ended up with 106 points. I guess they just had an overall decent team experience. I honestly don't know. Hadn't followed them too much. Didn't really know what was going on as much with them. Didn't see them too often, I guess. Didn't pay attention as much. But anyway, the point is... I'm not exactly sure what 
Minnesota's strengths and weaknesses are. I know St. Louis, like with Tarasenko and various other players, uh, they have some offensive upside. I'm going to say if Minnesota got this far, I think they will probably knock St. Louis off, even though I can't necessarily point to one thing on the wild that make it a definite winning team here but no you know what here's what i'll say i'll say it's probably going to be saint um probably going to be minnesota rather but if there's going to be an upset in the playoffs in the first round the st louis blues have a really good chance of being that that team that makes that upset so there you go that's my first round predictions hopefully i'll be able to get a second round podcast in so i can do some predictions for that one and see how badly my predictions went for this one but just to review montreal over new york Boston over Ottawa, Capitals over the Leafs, the Penguins over Columbus, and then the Ducks over the Flames, the Oilers over San Jose, Chicago over Nashville, and Minnesota over the Blues. So that's what I think I'm going with at this point. So that is the standings and the playoff situation coming up. Newsworthy things for the Vancouver Canucks. Well, they just fired their coach. Yep, that's right. Willie Desjardins is out of here. Now that excites a lot of fans because they felt Willie was just not the right fit for the Vancouver Canucks team as we do our rebuild. He spent a good chunk of the early part of the season really working the veterans hard to get to get wins where he could have been playing the younger guys a little bit more. I mean, obviously, Bo Horvat was playing a lot, but that's because he earned it. He was one of our best players from the get-go. But throughout the year, he went ahead and did his job. He got the young guys in, and in those last 20 games or so, we were talking, since the trade deadline, basically, there's been myriad young hockey players playing for the Vancouver Canucks. So we did, Willie did come around, but I think the idea was he, he was doing it sort of because he felt pressured to do it, not because he wanted to do it, not because that was the way he coached best. And that's not what, that's not the best situation. The best situation is you have a coach there where that's what he wants to do and that's how he coaches best and that's how he develops players by playing the young guys and having the older guys basically just around for mentorship and being kind of on ice coaches that help the younger players advance their game. Anyway, so Lindy Ruff, Daryl Sutter, I think, uh, Travis Green are probably among the top possible replacements. Any of those guys, I think, stand a reasonable chance of doing well if they want. I don't know if Sutter or Ruff want to get into another rebuilding situation. I think maybe this is the best chance for someone like Travis Green, who played with a lot of these, played with a lot of these guys, coached a lot of these guys on the Utica Comets, and then, of course, coming up to the Canucks, he can continue to just mold these players as he was before. So that might be the best choice there. Outside of that, I think that's about it for today. Next step is taking a look at that hockey game that happened on the 6th. So any more news or any more interesting situations that come up, I'm going to add to my next podcast, like I said, probably before the second round. And aside from that, I guess that's about it. Let's get ready for Arizona v. Canucks. Game time. This is part of the podcast where I get to tell you all about one particular game the Canucks played recently, give you the ideas of the specifics of the game, let you know how the Canucks did 
in that particular game. And the particular game I'm looking at is the April 6th game, game number 80 against the Arizona Coyotes, which fortunately turned into a 4-3 loss. And of course, it's fortunate because that, again, that put them into a good spot. Second last in the league, second best opportunity to get a good draft pick. So that's what we're shooting for at this point. So let's take a look at the way the game was set up. We didn't have Smith in net for the Coyotes, which I felt was kind of poor sportsmanship for them. We went with Miller. We went with our best goalie with Bachman backing him up. We could have gone with Bachman, not a slight on Bachman at all, but out of the two, he is the least experienced and maybe technically not as good a goaltender as Miller is. So we went with our best guy. They didn't. Now that said, we kind of have some players in that I'll mention along the way that were, we haven't talked about them yet, and I'll get to mention them here. But before I do, Shen gets a goal pretty much right off the bat. It gets chipped in. And it is his first goal in 100 games. So remember what I said about guys who haven't scored for a while scoring on the Canucks? Yeah, there's another example. Now that the Coyotes are up by one, Goldie gets a chance to uh, to get himself another goal from Danny and Hank. Another little tap in from the side of the net. Danny makes an excellent pass cross, cross crease. Beautiful. And we get the sense that, that there's some chemistry there. And that Goldie might actually be doing all right playing with the Twins, learning his trade through them. That's pretty nice. If he can, if they can play next year and actually be a solid second line, third line sort of line, he might still be able to score quite a few goals. So good on you, Godolbin. And the Twins, for that matter. Now, there is, I'm going to say, Griffin Moline. Um, off the post, and he gets a he gets a a break, a little breakaway, and I'm gonna check that name. Anyways, he he gets a he gets a nice little breakaway from just inside the blue line, in on the in on the goal, and he knocks it in, knocks it off of the post and out. So that was Griffin Molino, and he was uh, he he's chosen number thirteen. So call back to I think Benino had that number. Artem Chabarov had that number. Not very many Canucks have worn number 13 all the way back, I think, to Lars Lindgren might have had 13 at some point. Something like that. Anyway, these uh, these unlucky numbers aren't very often chosen. But yeah, so uh, Molino is a centerman. Uh, says here he's 5'11", 171 pounds. Nice small centerman. Lots of f- uh, finesse, quickness. Age 23. Born January 21st, 1994 in Trenton, Missouri, I believe, in the United States. And he's a left-handed shot. So there you go. There's some information about one of the new kids who had his first game, that game against the Coyotes. All right. So anyway, so he had a good shot there. Uh, Goldie gets a nice defensive play. He actually stands up on the blue line and makes a good play to stop the, the Coyotes from coming across as they would. And... We get the feeling here that both teams aren't very concerned, aren't very concerned with their tightness of play. They're okay with being a little bit more offensive, a little bit loose, and not too worried about the defensive responsibilities, which I'm sure drive their coaches crazy. But at this point, they weren't really shooting for an absolute tight win here. So that's the end of the first period with the Canucks and Coyotes tied 1-1. Shen and Godolbin each with the goals. Luke Shen is first of the year and Goldobin with his second. And now we go on to the second period and hopefully see some more goals by the Coyotes. <laughs> so 
we don't have to get so nervous about things. And sure enough, our good friend Radam Verbata, who still couldn't be traded at the trade deadline, gets uh, his his 19th goal of the season, basically chipping it in off, uh, bouncing it in off of Edler, and that puts them up 2-1, to one, which was a good situation for the Canucks. Then we've got... A power play, it was someone who hooked Daniel, or Daniel hooked them. Hmm. I think it was a coyote penalty, and they hooked Daniel. Yeah, I remember that now. And then Sutter ends up getting a good penalty where he takes a coyote out of the play when he was about to potentially get a goal. So that evens up the the man advantage situation. Chapu ends up getting a holding penalty thereafter. It looks like we've got a parade to the penalty box. And the announcers mentioned, oh yeah, by the way, we've got a rookie referee tonight. <laughs> so that may have been why he, why we ended, get, ended up getting this penalty situation. He was a bit nervous in the first period, didn't want to call anything to set the tone. Second period, he was more confident, goes ahead and starts calling all the penalties. <laughs> Anyways, then we have a second goal by the Coyotes. Bermistrov gets his fifth goal of the year from Goligoski and Domi. Good old Domi. <laughs> they went ahead and now are now up by two. It's three to one. I'm feeling much better. <laughs> it's a power play goal. Canucks can now accidentally score a goal and not feel too bad about it. And in fact, after uh, after that goal, Goldolbin and the Sedins again start passing the puck around, getting good opportunities, really showing that it's almost we haven't seen that sort of thing since... Alexander Burroughs got with the Sedins at first and really started showing that he could get the puck in and work with them really well. Man, this was just a couple of years ago. Then we have Tramkin getting a tripping penalty as he was catching up to the play. That was rough, but again, not too worried about that because it turned into another goal. A power play goal by guess who? Radom Verbata. Radom Verbata goes ahead and scores a second goal of the game, his 20th of the year, assist by Domi. So, funny thing, he bounces this one in off of Miller this time. So first off of Edler and then off of Miller. Now it's 4-1. to one. I'm feeling good about the whole situation. The Canucks are nice and loose. They're now trying to turn on some offensive flair. And everyone's kind of having a good time except for the Coyotes. <laughs> the Coyotes are in that position when they're like, it's the end of the second period. We're up 4-1. to one. Oh, darn it. We're going to win this game. So that was kind of funny. Uh, the beginning of the third period... Connaughton, this this uh, bucket head, goes ahead and starts just randomly punching a bunch of people for no apparent reason. Maybe he was upset now that they wouldn't get the good draft pick. And he punches Birchie in the head, and Birchie gets two minutes for getting punched, basically. The referee is just like, okay, oh, you guys all go to the penalty box. And Birchie's like, all I did was got punched. <laughs> What's the deal with that? But uh, um, Martinic also, uh, he gets the original penalty in the scrum. And then Connaughton also goes off for a 10-minute misconduct because he's such a dummy. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know what he was doing there. But whatever, he was upset, obviously, for whatever reason. Now, as a result, the Canucks get a power play. And what do they do with the with the power play? That's right, they score. Because that's what the Canucks do with power plays, right? Right? Uh, Brock Besser, a guy we haven't talked about yet, has himself his third goal with the Vancouver Canucks. Again, another one of our young players that we were really hoping would make the grade and really show that he could play the game at the NHL level. And what do you know? Desjardins gives him the chance, and he goes ahead and does exactly that. He's got a lot of jump, he's got that quickness, and he definitely has some offensive skills to go with it. 
and this one gets assisted by Sedin and Sutter. Basically, it's one of those things where Hank gets the puck to him kind of on the goal line, side the net, gets the puck from behind the goal line, in front of the goal line, like just a few inches, about, what, five feet away from the net, and puts it up into the empty net from that angle. You know that tough angle beside the net just a few inches above the goal line where you're only looking really at a sliver of a rectangle to shoot at but he got it in there in there so good on him domi then afterwards gets a breakaway and tanev catches up to him and hooks him just at the last second creating a penalty shot domi goes to the backhand but he puts it too high and miller once again does not get scored on on the penalty shot he goes ahead and does this doesn't bite just slides to the side and is in position so that Domi had to shoot high and he didn't make it so way to go Miller it's Miller time and then we kind of run into a couple of situations in which both uh Berchi and Horvat go off the ice hurting and I'm thinking oh are you kidding me I mean Berchi just came back and Horvat has had this awesome year and Oh, yeah, it's going to be in the, the season anyway. I guess it doesn't matter too much. I mean, you know, you'd never want to see guys hurt, but it's not like now these guys won't be with us for the first round of the playoffs. So that is an advantage of not being in the playoffs, I guess. Anyway, they both came back that game, and I haven't heard much since, so I'm assuming they are relatively okay. With Horvat, I think, with one of them, it was Juris coming in from behind and knocked him into the backboards. I believe that was Horvat. And his leg kind of got went in wrong and got kind of squished under him as he went to the boards and it didn't look good but it all right a little bit later after that Goldobin gets hit in the face with the puck I believe a stetcher in a game before this or a game after this against the uh Oilers got hit in the face with a follow-through right in front of the net as the Oilers scored a goal I believe so yeah the Canucks gotta watch their faces anyway yeah Goldie gets hit in the face with a pass by Boucher Boucher sans la Boucher that's it's bad French, sorry. Gets with the, the mouth, but in it should be in the mouth, I guess. Dans, dans le boucher? Boucher, dans le boucher? Anyway, never mind. Elle bouche. <sighs> this, this is what happens at the end of the season when the Canucks don't make the playoffs. I get kind of giddy in the playoffs. When the Canucks get to the playoffs, I'm going to let you know right now, I, I get a little bit stressed out <laughs> because I want them to win so badly. And I'm analyzing every sort of angle about them playing that yeah, it kind of stresses me out. But when the Canucks don't make it, it's all good. And everything's pretty, pretty happy. Speaking of pretty happy, we're down 4-2. to two, And then Daniel decides to score. From Hank, of course, to make it 4-3. to three. They flashed a, you know, one of those statistical little things up on the uh, screen. Noting that Hank and Danny are right up there with, like, Gretzky and Curry for players who have been in on a goal together the most and i think oh shoot i can't remember the numbers in my head it's like 700 but that seems wrong i don't think they've <laughs> i don't think there's well maybe maybe i don't know 500 i don't know it's been hundreds and they are basically a couple of the players right at the top of that list so yeah they've spent a lot of time scoring together that's for sure anywho uh daniel scores on a one-timer from the face-off dot and very nice goal again showing just th these two guys have all the skill and even though they're older man they can still get it done when they want to so after four to three you really notice that things went kind of weird <laughs> there's still several minutes to play and the canucks have to look like they're pushing for that last goal 
but they also have to not push so hard because they don't want to actually score it because they can't they, they shouldn't even get a point because then maybe they'll tie the devils and maybe the devils have the tiebreaker so you can't even be sure of that so you just don't want to get a point at all so at this point in the game Kraus hits Spiza, <laughs> knocks him pretty pretty hard Hutton sees that and goes and hits Martinuk Martinuk there and and it's you can see some edge coming into play a bit and then the Canucks pull their goalie and they almost score uh, it's they get a really good chance Danny ends up just hitting the goalie in the chest with the shot and I swear I could see it in his eyes I could see him going I- I'm just gonna shoot it straight at him and hope he stops it because who knows you shoot it in net anything can happen and up in a corner it goes, and it's a tie game, and now the Canucks don't get that draft pick. But Danny does the right thing, hits the goaltenders straight in the chest, makes it look legit, everything's good. No one's going to go to the league and say, you know, the Canucks didn't do their their due diligence. Then Verbata gets a chance, and he misses the empty net. And I'm like, oh, Verbata, that would have been a hat trick, and you would have, you know, that would have been the game and everything. But we hang on to win, and, and by win I mean lose. And part of that... I could tell I was watching those last couple minutes and Edler had the puck on his stick a couple of times and basically made the worst possible play he could make uh, th- those those times that he had the puck. And some of you are saying, well, it was Edler. Of course he did. <laughs> but but I could see that it was on purpose. Like there was a couple of optimum chances that he, you know, he could pass it up, get it across the line, set up a good offensive chance. But instead, he kind of just drop passes it to the defenseman behind him with another coyote nearby so that he could put pressure on the defenseman and the defenseman had to go back with the puck. And so he was wasting a bit of time and he wasn't making optimal plays for offensive opportunities. And there was maybe two or three times Edler had the puck in those last few minutes where I noticed that he was really working hard on this. And I was good with that. <laughs> I was like... That's one smart Swede right there. Obviously, again, not doing it so that it's obvious. And maybe I'm reading too much into it. Uh, Same with Daniel's shot straight at the goaltender. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I think these are just smart hockey players who know what the situation is. And they just know what to do without looking like they're really phoning it in, right? So there we go. We have the end of that game and the beginning of looking at getting a good draft pick. And having the end of the season where we can go and just be with our families and Ben Hutton can go back to playing NHL with his buddies. By the way, I've played NHL 17 and I find it interesting that Ben Hutton has been this kind of poster boy for NHL 17 a little bit from the Canucks. He's played it a few times on the that they filmed him and watched him play and all this stuff. And he's one of the players that has the generic face. They don't even have Ben Hutton's face on his on his avatar in the game, which I think is kind of hilarious since, you know, since they have called on him to do some promotional stuff. So I thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, well, that's the end of that. And I guess we go to our next segment and take it from there. The post-game show. This is the part of the program where I get to tell you what the Canucks are going to be up to in the next week or so and any thoughts or ideas that I have on the whole situation. And what do I got to say? It's the end of the season. The Canucks are out golfing, or out playing Xbox, or out doing whatever they want to do. Willie DeJardin is out looking for a job. So that's where they're at for the next week or few months. (laughs) So I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to go ahead and, like I said, I'll probably cast every section of the playoffs, every new round. I'll have a podcast ready to go for that particular round. Taking a look at the previous round and doing my predictions for the next round. So those would be like mini podcasts. I'll also do one, maybe I'll do a game during the Stanley Cup Finals. And then afterwards, definitely one leading up to that free agent, leading up to the the draft and free agency and all that. So at least have one in there and maybe another one just to finish up the whole season. Aside from that, there is a podcast that I recorded and I apologize for not being, you know, not having a new podcast in the last like month and a half. There was a podcast I recorded. In fact, there was there was another one that I was going to record and that I had taken notes for in the whole thing. But a whole bunch of stuff came up, eh, real life stuff, and I just kept putting it off and putting it off and just wasn't able to get it done. I still have that one left in the can and I'm probably going to release that as a bonus episode at some point in the near future because it is done. I just need to finish editing it. And it's a fairly long one, so you know. Hopefully, that will still interest you. Uh, maybe I'll wait until the summer, and that can be like a bonus summer episode, so that you can go. Oh, I really miss listening to Canucks Corner. If I only had one game that I could have, I could listen to them do the thing and all the stuff. And there it is. There's the bonus episode, the lost episode of 2017. So I may, I may save it for that. We'll see how things go. And yeah, that's about it. So not much more to say. Just look forward to that next episode coming up. And just be happy that your Canucks did really well. I'm super happy with them, the way they played their good young players. And the way those players played, uh, Stetcher and Tremkin and just oldem guys. Barchian, of course, Horvat from the beginning. But even some of the... The, the newer guys later at the end. And before the new season, I'll have an exhaustive list about all those players and what I think about them. But until then, got some podcasts to finish up this season. So look forward to those. Until then, this is Aaron Lane for the Canucks Corner Podcast. If you'd like to find me, I'm at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. That's at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. Or email me at Canucks Corner Pod at gmail.com. That's Canucks Corner Pod, all one word, at gmail.com. And until we pod again, thanks for listening, and keep your stick on the ice.